0: Hey, it's Tommy Thayer from Kiss, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks right now. I'm um, Embrace from Washington, Andrea, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, everybody, my name is William Patrol, and you're listening to Iron City
1: Rocks. Hey, what's up? It's Andy from Blackwell Brines, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Oh!
2: And welcome to episode 185 of the Iron City Rocks Podcast, coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am your host, John. Episode 185, we uh, wanted to do something special for you, and we uh, hope that you find that it is. We have, returning to the show, uh, the most downloaded artist of the Iron City Rocks Podcast history. Uh, we've done 184 episodes prior to this, and no episode has done more downloads than episode 73 which featured at the time Andy Six of the Black Veil Brides. Now he has uh, gone back to his original name, which is Andy Biersack. and uh, they have a great new album out called The Wretched and the Divine. The Black Veil Brides will be in Pittsburgh on the Church of the Wild Ones tour on the 29th of January. They're doing uh, all across the United States, uh, then they're doing Europe, South America. So if you hear the sound of my voice really anywhere in the world, the Black Veil Brides are on the way. and really can't recommend that album Uh, too much Uh, I I picked it up Uh, I have all of the Black Veil Brides albums and and this one to me is a giant leap forward uh, in songwriting so really worth the effort uh, to go out there and get the album it's available at Target Walmart it debuted at number 7 in the country so uh, there are no shortages of places to get the physical media or if you go to um, iTunes and Amazon all those great places obviously you can get it instantly so Recommend you do that. We're also joined on the show this time by William Control. William Control uh, will be here with the Black Veil Brides in support. Uh, kind of a departure from the music you typically hear on the show. The music, uh, to me, harkens back to bands like New Order, Depeche Mode, uh, and some things like that. But uh, William Control has a background that's a little bit broader, and with hardcore, with a band named Aiden. Uh, so he's got some cred. With hard rock fans, uh, certainly And then we're going to introduce you to a new band called 33 Love Child But we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit So, what we're going to do We're going to give you a taste of the first single from the Black Veil Brides This is called In the End And then we're going to talk to Andy Biersack. In the end As my soul's
3: laid to rest What is left to my body Or am I just A shell I have found.
2: Welcome back to the show from the band of Black Veil Brides, Andy Biersek. How you doing? Doing well, man. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Um, great to get the chance to have you back on the show, uh, and especially right now. We're one week into The Wretched and the Divine, the story of the Wild Ones. Um, how's this wave of uh, the new album been treating you? It's
1: pretty great, man. I mean, just yesterday we found out that we had a top ten record on Billboard, so it's, it's, uh, it's pretty great. You know, it's... Uh, a lot of hard work and, and the record was definitely the most challenging thing we've ever done and, and to be able to, to have that kind of uh, a chart position and to have our, our fans have such a positive reaction to it it's been amazing
2: Yeah, number 7 on the charts now this album to me, I've been kind of following you guys as I mentioned, you were on uh, our show right after um, or while you were on the road for We Stitch These Wounds um, your songwriting seems to have gone a long way maybe it's just my impression or, or the album sounds fresher to me now but uh, I mean, did you guys spend a lot more time writing this album in particular?
1: Certainly. I think that, you know, it, it also, it just comes with, with maturity of, of growing as musicians and, and, and in fact, as songwriters. Um, I was 17 years old when the bulk of We Stitch These Wounds was written and, uh, you know, had not really had much experience with with professional records being made and that record was made for a very small budget we didn't even have a producer on that album really we kind of self produced and mm-hmm. had some come in and engineer the record and kind of I think that the everybody that worked on that album was all it was all a labor of love you know I'm thinking anybody really got paid because sure but uh, and then going into the world on fire uh, you know we were older and wiser and, and I think we had spent a lot more time writing there but again we didn't have a very hands-on producer and I think the real distinction is that obviously we're, we're, we've improved and matured over time, but also we had John Feldman. And John Feldman in the mix made the record that much better because he's a incredibly hands-on producer and someone who will push you to improve your songwriting abilities and improve your, your playing or improve your singing. And um, As much as he's, he's a wonderful and kind person, he's definitely a taskmaster who... Uh, you know, you're there every day at 10 a.m. and you leave at 4 in the morning, and then after you're already home, if he calls you and says he has an idea, you have to drive right back to the studio. So, Sure. You know, uh, it was definitely a, a, a challenging and, uh, I guess, difficult process, and one that was definitely very rewarding.
2: Yeah, it, it kind of reminded me, and you, it's great you mentioned John Feldman, because when I listened to the record, one of the things that kind of stood out in my mind is almost how Kiss took that leap when they made Destroyer with Bob Ezrin. Um, you know, you guys are adding a lot more orchestration. The songs, um, to me, they seem like you spend a lot more time on it. Maybe, maybe it's just, a, again, my my judgment, but, um, you know, it is amazing how a producer can make that much difference. Absolutely.
1: Um, obviously, all the stories that you hear of when they were making Destroyer and Ezra sort of had a very similar, mm-hmm. um, from what I've heard, obviously, uh, you know, only heard stories, but had a very similar um way with them and and being a little bit more hands-on and obviously something that uh, the comfort level was different and I think that that is something that we've never really experienced and growing up as a kid hearing the stories about Destroyer being made um, maybe it wasn't I didn't have any understanding until now where if you have that kind of a production team behind you and you have that kind of a producer that really A, believes in what you're doing and B, wants to push you to the next level and make you do something that you've never done before your level of interest or comfort or or maybe just a level of intent towards doing that improves that much more, and you really want to push and do new things, and, and the ideas just flow more easily. Sure. Because something like having a entirely orchestral overture on the record is something that was just an idea that I had one day while we were working, and I don't know that that's something that would have come to me in previous work, maybe working with a different producer being in a different circumstance.
2: Right. Now, um, did, did the theme behind the album, uh, was that hatched before you started writing or were some of the songs you know you just kind of noticed a theme in your writing and then kind of glued it all together in the story or how did the you know the concept behind the record come about
1: uh, it all started with a short story that i wrote um literally just sitting on a flight back from europe i, I was i always kind of in drawing and writing and coming up with little mm-hmm. things to I mean, use myself for the past the time and, um i started writing a story about this called the wild Woods, and it was um kind of a breakdown of these characters and, and the idea that there was this kind of uh, unified kind of uh, Orwellian church government political figure that was kind of omnipotent and kind of ruled over everything and uh, the only people that were kind of challenging it were these kind of group of kind of James Dean, Mad Max rebels that were sure. kind of up against them. And uh, from there, you something that I thought was, was cool and uh, I brought it. I, I kind of had the idea, and at this point, we were had already been working on uh, a, a record that would have been the follow-up to The World On Fire um, mm-hmm. with, with a different producer, and, and we were about six songs in it, and, and I wasn't really incredibly, it wasn't that I wasn't excited, I was just, I don't think I was incredibly turned on, so to speak, by anything that we were doing. It didn't seem challenging, or it kind of seemed too logical of a follow-up, it just kind of seemed like the same old thing, maybe just yeah. a, little bit, be a little bit better, but, but not anything that would challenge us or challenge our audience or anything and, uh, it, yeah, I think that through that it was like, you know, maybe just the feeling of, okay, we're not really doing anything that's groundbreaking right now. And, and the feeling kind of laid with me of, oh, okay, well, what if we try to do something like this with, with the putting the concept into the album? And around that time is when I, uh, I met John Feldman. it's kind of a, a chance meeting. He wanted to meet me, and, and we had kind of walked in similar social circles for a while and had a lot of mutual friends, and he wanted to meet me and, and to try to write with me. And so he and I got to writing a song together uh, that day, just at his house. And he goes, "You know, what are you? Uh, what have you been thinking about? What's what's kind of on your mind? What have you been been working on or anything?" And I told him the whole breakdown of the story, not even saying mm-hmm. that the story was something that I wanted to make the record about. I was just saying, "Hey, this is the thing I've been working on." And so we we wound up writing it. We wrote a song that was kind of based around that story. And the more he and I started working together, the more it became clear we should make this into an album. And around that time is when. I gave the, the story to a couple of my close friends who are visual artists, and uh, they started helping me put together like a screenplay of sorts. And sure. kind of around yeah. that time is when the, the idea for the movie and the record and everything really all came into one, and then that's when we ceased production with our previous producer and scrapped all that material. And literally, I think 48 hours later, we were in John Feldman's studio and working on The Wretched and the Vine.
2: Now, the the film, is that what became The Legion of the Black? Yes. Okay. And for those who haven't seen it, I mean, is that, are, are you guys in the video or, or the movie or, or how, could you maybe describe it a little bit for those who haven't seen it yet?
1: Uh, yeah, it's, um, it, through the course of making the, the, the record, we were able to put together kind of this um, visual representation of the story. So it's it, um, entirely musical, there's no dialogue in it, but it is a uh, 45 to 50 minute um, kind of film showing the the story where you have these characters battling against these kind of bad guys and a lot of action scenes and kind of tells the backstory of the record
2: yeah so you i mean you guys have really gone on i mean this is you know when i listen to the album this kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, you know harken back to like operation Mindcrime, almost in that you've got cool you know a cool visual representation of the story i mean do you guys you know have plans i'm sure you know everybody who writes an album like this would like to see it perform live in its entirety would that something you know we might see sooner than later
1: absolutely um and particularly with the tour that we're currently on um we uh we brought out about five or six new songs for this tour to see how they would play live and obviously they're much more involved musically than our previous stuff there's a lot more instrumentation and there's violins and whatnot um, they've all been going so well and, and we're playing about a 20-song set right now on the current tour, so uh, oh, wow. there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't see it even within a year, uh, us doing that. We'd like to try to, by summertime, be able to perform the, the record in its entirety and, and to really have an opportunity to bring that out to people.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's again, as I kind of reference Operation Minecraft because to me it, it's an album that, that I think is worthy of that comparison and that you've got what could easily be eight singles off of that album. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know if that, you know, if that, again, that goes back to John's influence of, of pushing you guys or uh, you just had some incredible melodies in your head when you guys put the album, but I, I would imagine trying to pick a lead-off track or, you know, work to keep songs out of the set list with this album would be very difficult. Well,
1: you know, I mean, honestly, the the, the the first single choice for, in the end, seemed... Um, I think for us when we were writing that song, it was like, okay, this is this is the song that to us represents the album the most, and it was it was one of the last songs. It's not the last song written, mm-hmm. definitely last song written for the record. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean the, the songs themselves, it's definitely hard for. I've sat down with with management and the label and everything, and, and said, okay, what's going to be the next move? And for us, it's just a matter of, of uh, you know we kind of want to see what what the fans respond to the most. We've got a lot of songs that we really believe in there, and, and we want to see what our audience really w- would like to see the next single
2: be. Yeah. Now, you know, speaking of fans, I, I don't see too many uh, bands of this era that have the devoted fan following that the Black Bell Brides have amassed in the last three years. Have you been, you know, uh, kind of shocked at, at how much this band has taken off with the fans? I
1: don't know if I'm shocked. I'm, I'm more humbled and, and pleased and very, uh, thankful. Um, But I've always believed that our audience and and our community is something that's stronger than even people can perceive. It's been a bit of an underdog in a lot of ways. People don't necessarily understand the level of devotion that we have with our audience and our audience has to us. Um, And I just think that it's definitely something that... My intention when I first started this band was to do something that would create a community and a feeling that I was lacking as a kid. I, I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, up, I didn't have the opportunity for a band to kind of create this world for the people that felt different or felt alone. And yeah. the bands that I listened to, you know, bands like Motley Crue and Wasp and, and The Misfits, I certainly had a community around them, but it was never such a, a, a close intention to, to what I was feeling. And so when starting this, the idea was to try to create more of a punk rock community around something that was obviously a more hard rock band. And uh, I think we've been very successful in that, and I think that, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not surprised by what our fans can do I, I firmly believe that we have you know an audience that is, is with, with, it's hard to touch you know it's hard for other bands to go okay well you know it's hard for other bands to go up against black Bride's fan base in a lot of ways you know it's not to say other bands don't have huge followings it's just to say that black Bride's fans are very devoted and, and I'm very proud of them for that
2: yeah it seems I mean there's only been you know a handful of bands that I can really think of over the last 15 years you know you know, maybe the Black Label Society. Um, you know, obviously the Kiss Army, but um, you know, you guys on Facebook reg- regularly with people with tattoos and things. It, it's you know, always it impresses me that you know the, the you know the devotion. You know, you don't seem to have casual fans. You have full on fans, and, and that's it's really neat to see.
1: I would say that that's one of the most interesting things that has come with the release of this record, even just in the last week, is seeing people that. And we've always been a very polarizing band and people either love us or hate us, but this record seems to be evoking a lot more people saying, you know, I don't necessarily, I, I'm not going to get a tattoo of their face on my body, but yeah. I, this record, which is kind of an interesting thing because we've never really had that before. That being said, you know, our our our, our core fan base and, and the DBB army, as they call themselves, we, uh, we're very appreciative towards them. And, and,
2: yeah, um, it's great to be able to to bring in new, you know, you know, maybe not critics necessarily, but you know, new fans without ostracizing. You know, without going in a complete left turn from what you had been doing and ostracizing. You know, the fan base you've built up. So that's great. So you said you're doing about 20 songs in in this uh, the Church of the Wild Ones tour setlist. Yeah, Did it kind of mix across all three albums. Yeah, I think there's a good mix.
1: Um, we we're doing uh, definitely a handful of songs from from all three records and, and one from an EP that we released. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, this is definitely the most, the longest set and the most uh, comprehensive set of our material that we've ever done, and um, I, I really enjoy it. You know, this is our first time touring in the U.S. in almost two years. Um, yeah. It took a lot of time to make the record, and uh, we, we've been in Europe for a while before that, so it's, it's been a great homecoming for us.
2: Andy, it'll be great to see you back. You guys are coming through Pittsburgh the last week of the month. The month you'll be hitting the altar bar in Pittsburgh, and it would be great to see you guys when you get there, man. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, dude. Good to talk to
4: you again. Bon Jovi in concert, live in Pittsburgh. The man, the band, the hits don't miss. Bon Jovi.
3: It's my life, it's now
4: February 21st at Consol Energy Center. No opening act. all night.
3: Give up a bad
4: night all Bon Jovi
3: we weren't born to follow
4: February 21st at Consol Energy we'll Center your buy your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com 800-745-3000 and at the box office have a nice day don't miss Bon Jovi produced by AEG Live more at Bon
2: Jovi.com have a nice day. Day. All right, again Bon Jovi, Consol Energy Center on the twenty-first. It's a Thursday night uh, coming up sooner than uh, sooner than you think. That's only uh, what about four weeks away, so that'll be a great one. And won't be long, I think, before you see the Black Veil Brides playing at the Consol Energy Center, uh, the band that's that's uh, rapidly rising in popularity. Uh, I know the show at the Alter Bar in Pittsburgh is now sold out. So if you are listening to this and we're planning on going down and just uh, paying your money at the door, you missed out. Um, if you keep an eye on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, when we announce the show, I personally had promised that this show would sell out, and it certainly did. So going to be a great one. And also on the bill that night, William Control. Uh, and I always uh, enjoy talking to the uh, support acts, because I think it makes for a more enjoyable concert experience. You go and you know a little bit about the band that's opening up. So we're going to talk to William Control, who uh, originally was a William of a different name who sang for a band called Aiden. Uh, William Patrol started a side project. Uh, This is now, I believe, their third album. Uh, Really, really cool music if you're a fan of, like, 80s uh, synth new wave music. So I'm going to give you a a track from that album called Kiss Me Judas, and then we're going to talk to William and let him explain the band a little better to you. I am very chilly here in Cleveland, Ohio. I tell you, we're we're getting that same miserable ten degree weather over here in, in Pittsburgh. Which hopefully by the time you roll into town uh, next Thursday, it'll be a little warmer uh, for you yeah, all. Yeah,
0: actually, you know, we were just we were we were actually just there last night. And we went and saw Morrissey at Clive Hall.
2: Awesome, you know, and it's interesting you yeah. mentioned Morrissey because it's one of the things that you know I'm a little older older than you are, and um, when I listen to your music, obviously, you know, you can't deny that you know the, the sound of bands like new order and uh some of the bands of that era but morrissey really to me kind of struck me as in your vocal stylings you know you seem to draw a lot of influence was he kind of big, big on your list when you're growing up in kind of those formative years
0: yeah definitely i mean the Smiths and morrissey have been one of my favorite bands for
2: years yeah and it's, it's great to see you know a guy like morrissey who um you know I guess for a while he he did some pretty good draws, but I mean he's kind of almost had a resurgence in his career as of late, so it's it's great, and I hope the yeah it's great. I heard the show was great, but um you have yeah. out of control. Yeah, you're speaking out of control. I mean you were touring with probably one of the hottest acts in music right now. You guys are going to be opening the show for the Black Veil Brides at uh, Alter Bar. Um, you want to talk a little bit? I mean stylistically, you know when you listen to the William Control album. Uh, as I mentioned, you you hear the New Order and, and Depeche Mode and things like that. And when you listen to the Black Bell Brides, obviously that's not what you hear. How did, how did the you, the partnership kind of come together?
0: Well, uh, Andy and I started talking years ago after I put out my first album as William Control He was mm-hmm. some one of one of his friends uh, introduced introduced him, Said "Hey, you should check this out. You like Lords of the New Church or mm-hmm. Sisters of Mercy? Uh, you should check this guy out." So. He sent me a message. We actually talked on MySpace, and you know he didn't really have a band then. He kind of kind of had a band, and then we spoke, and then he you know he sent me the first video, and I was like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this band, and I've we've always kind of had a, a friendly rapport. Sure. <clears throat> and after I think it was right after they got signed to Standby, we did a tour together. You know, we've we've been friends since. So mm-hmm. I I opened up a tour for. Him and the Black Veil Brides, Brides in was White a couple of years ago. Yeah. And stylistically, it doesn't really make sense at all. I mean, if you go see Black Veil Brides, you probably are thinking that, you know, you're going you're gonna to get an opening band that has guitar solos and, sure, you know, double kick and, and all that shit. But I think the reason why it works so well is because it's completely different. You know, yeah. something that their fans don't expect. And because their fans are so open and they're so open-minded that they're they're willing to, to have a good time and to give me a chance to play these songs.
2: Yeah, and I actually, I, I, I applaud, you know, whoever put this package together just because the styles are so different. Because, you know, as a fan of, of music that, you know, you know, there were years where I would see Depeche Mode live and see Iron Maiden live. You know, I don't think you know Americans tend to, you know, you want like you said, you want somebody with the guitar solos, you want a clone of the to be the opening act, and that's it's a lot more interesting to have somebody, yeah, somebody come out like yourself, um, you know, with uh, I don't, you know, exactly what you call, you know, this new wave, you know, you're kind of the new wave of new wave music almost, um, a little yeah. bit, you know, maybe darker in in some respect. I call it
1: I, I call it filth wave.
2: Filth wave. There. <laughs> Yeah, as long as it doesn't. You know, I think
0: what it, I think, I think what it really is, is what it really boils down to is, is that they're in a position where really they can take any band they want on tour. They can, they've been getting cash offers from labels and from other bands to take, you know, their next up and coming band, whoever they're trying to promote to Mm -hmm. play in front of the Blackfield Brides audience. And really what it boils down to is the fact that they want to take who, who they like and who their friends are and yeah. we are we're, we're really good friends so yeah. I as an independent artist not working for a label not I'm not on a schedule I'm not working towards a goal mm-hmm. uh, I, I have to say that it's pretty fucking awesome of a band who could really take another band that's you know almost as big and go into bigger rooms and make more money to take a guy like me who who really you know is not working towards a direction with regards to album sales or Leaving mm-hmm. a label or anything like
2: that, but just because they 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 wanted to. Yeah, I mean, something to be said for that. Sometimes I think you know you read, you know, a lot of the, the you know older artists now are doing these autobiographies, and you hear what absolute jackasses some bands were to their opening bands. You know, if you've got some camaraderie and rapport, obviously they involved you in the making of uh, the Wretched and Divine. Um, then it makes for a more fun. You know, you guys are traveling down the road. You know, for the next how long together? It sure helps if y'all get along. You know, so that's great. Yeah, it makes,
0: it makes everything a lot better. You know, when you're sure. when you're friends with all the crew and you're you're friends with the tour manager and everybody's nice and accommodating and it's really nice to be treated so well on the tour and not you know it's just Black Hill Brides and, and us and then local bands every night. So sure, we've been treated really well. We've gotten you know rider and guest you know dressing rooms and shit like that. It's probably one of the best tours I've ever done. And I've yeah. been touring for 10 years. Yeah.
2: Now, the latest record, uh, Silentium Amoris, uh, do you want to talk about how you know how you made that album, You know, being an independent?
0: Yeah, well, I made that album uh, through a project called The Control Project. And it really is just a ripoff of Kickstarter, but without mm-hmm. the Kickstarter percentage. I basically just asked my fans to donate some money in exchange for different packages,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, either a record and some handwritten lyrics or uh, vinyl or, you know, some different things like that that i offered. And I was able to make enough money to make the record and get it mixed and get it distributed and get it pressed up and then go on, you know, a couple of tours, which is, I, I, I think the way forward for artists like me. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, I, 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 I don't really believe that my music is ever going to get played on the radio, you know? So I'm never going to be as big as Lady Gaga. Sure. <clears throat> so but, it's really just going to be word of mouth and fans supporting me.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, that is that is a great point. And we see, you know, more and more bands, uh, you know, going the Kickstarter route. And, and it really, I think... At first, I was kind of against it, you know, personally. But then, the more you think about it, you know, if if people have the faith in you and you are giving something back, it isn't like you're just you're you're there with your hand out asking them to mail you fifty bucks, uh, so you can spend a half an hour mixing the album. You're in return, you know, like you said, a handwritten lyrics or you know you do poetry or, or whatever. You know, it it helps bring them into the creative. You know, feel like they contributed the album, so it really kind of binds yeah. the fans to the artists. So that's great. You know, the type of music you you make, um, obviously, I mentioned I was a fan of like Depeche Mode and things like that, you know. And music being, you know, that type of music in the 1980s was certainly made different than how it would be made today, you know, because of the technology. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, you know, do you use Pro Tools or how do you go about creating, you know, this kind of music, this electronic type music, in the technologic, you know, the technology we have today?
0: Well. Sort of a bizarre, sort of a bizarre story, actually. I mean, I I I've been playing in a band called Aiden uh, for nearly ten years, and I've grown up listening to punk rock music, you know, four, three and four chord,
1: mm-hmm.
0: two minute songs, that, you know, about changing the world or, you know, punching someone in the face or whatever it is. And so my my background lies in in punk rock bands, Misfits, Bad Religion, mm-hmm. Nirvana. And so when when we decided that when when I decided that I wanted to do a solo project, my my friend Kenneth Fletcher and I got together and started writing songs that were outside of that genre. And now mind you, we're not electronic music fans. I mean we're not we don't we don't go to those shows. we don't really know any of those bands outside of Joe Division, New Order, mm-hmm. Depeche Mode, I mean, some of the really big 80s bands. Yeah. We knew we kind of wanted to sound that way. And so uh, when we started writing Hate Culture, which is the first William Patrol album, we bought a program called Reason okay, to use as the drum machine because we didn't, you know, we didn't have a drummer. So we just wanted a drum machine. <clears throat> and we used Reason uh, with Pro Tools both together and we would use the Reason uh, program to to program drums, and then we would write the songs on guitars and bass and okay. maybe a synthesizer, okay. know, maybe like one, one synthesizer. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that record, we had learned how to use Pro- uh, Re- Reason well enough to where we could write, you know, you know uh, industrial drum sounds and all these different synthesizers and... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You know, so the beginning of the record sounds a lot different than the end of the record. Sure. And not in a chronological order. It's, it's not put that way. Like, Beautiful Loser is the first song on the album, and that was the song that we wrote last. Okay. So it's a really bizarre way of, of making music and kind of stumbling upon this genre that actually does exist. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of bands that... We in control would actually fit right in with on tour, you know, sure. The nation, a pop, Tigma, Berserk, or whatever that band is. I mean, there's tons of those bands. We, we, we had no idea.
2: Yeah, you you reinvented a, a music style that you didn't know you were already was there. That's cool. Yeah, so so that's how it, that's how it's made.
0: So now it's it's made in in a program called Reason and Pro Tools, okay. and then
1: guitars and bass.
2: Now live, I mean. How do you go about accomplishing this live? I mean, obviously you have musicians uh, on stage, but I mean, do you use like backing tracks, or is this all you know performed by the musicians on stage?
0: Uh, we run we run some backing tracks, and then Kenneth plays drums. Okay. And it really it really, de- or I'm not I'm sorry, drums, bass. He plays bass. It really depends on what tour we're doing. I've done, you know, shows where I've had a guitarist and a bass player, or a drummer and a bass player. So it really just depends on the tour and how
2: much I can afford. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, <laughs> certainly understand that. And then, um, now you have a, a DVD you're finishing up work on, or is it, or is it in the can now?
0: Yeah, it's in the can. Actually, it came out last Tuesday. It's oh, okay. live in London town. Okay. And it was, uh, filmed over the course of three days in London.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's just something cool that I, that I wanted to do for fans.
2: Yeah. Now, so I, how? I mean, this is kind of a question, you know, because a lot of the bands you mentioned uh, from the '80s era were English bands. Uh, does this style of music, yeah. you know, do better in different parts of the world? I'm, um, you know, just kind of curious when I listen to this. You know, it has a very English feel to it, but you're obviously an American. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that I built a fan base um, for for the last decade of pretty dedicated fans, and it, it depends on what city or what state or what country I'm in, mm-hmm. but definitely it does well. It does well in England. Mm-hmm. People people like it in England.
2: Yeah, I mean it's got that kind of feel, you know. That uh, I just kind of imagine, you know, as a deadly American's thinking about what the rest of the world will list. It was like, you know, this kind of has that kind of feel. So that's really cool. Um, you know, do, visually on stage, I mean, do you do you play instruments or are you uh, kind of free to move about? <laughs> Yeah, just do just do the singing, live. Awesome, awesome. Well, I like you said you're coming into Pittsburgh. Hopefully, it's a little warmer. Can you, can you hang on? Hang Sorry. on one second. Sure. Hold on one second. Sorry
0: about
2: that. Oh, that's quite all right. Quite all right. That's I was going to say. Um, you're coming in on the 29th. Uh, you're going to be opening for the Black Bell Brides, uh, altar bar, which is going to be kind of cool to see. Uh, you guys are going to be playing in a converted church. So that always makes for Yep, I love interest.
0: that place.
2: Yeah, so we'll be looking forward to seeing. You were here what, probably within the last year or so, weren't you, in Pittsburgh? You it was. The la- the, uh,
0: did we do Pittsburgh on the Birthday mascot Tour? No. The last time I was in Pittsburgh was on the Blackfield Brides Black
2: Tour. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's been a little while since yeah. they've been here, too. So <laughs> it'll be great to get you guys back in. It'll be cool to to check you guys out, and I appreciate you taking the time.
0: Awesome, thank you very much. I'll see you soon. Have you ever listened to an
3: album and thought to yourself, man, I could do so much better than that? Well, here's your chance. My name is Sue, and I've decided to write my next album live and online at RageAndApathy.com. So come on over, leave me a comment, and tell me what you think about the album and where you think it should go. And as a bonus for you Iron City rockers out there, I will give you an exclusive copy of the first song, as soon as I get it finished. So stop on over to RagingApathy.com and join my madness.
2: Alright, next up on the show we are going to be joined by Whiskey of the Band, 33 Love Child. I was approached to uh, talk to 33 Love Child by fellow Cast Iron Ring show host Bob Nowbandian who hosts the somewhat legendary Shockwave, Skull sessions and Shockwave's Hard Radio. You can find both of those at CastIronRing.com as well as Iron City Rocks. It's a band he manages. uh, Whiskey uh, at one point had sung from Marty Friedman of Megadeth. Uh, He's got a really cool new record out, uh, the self-titled album 33 Love Child. So I'll play you a track off of that that really jumped at me. And then we're going to talk to Whiskey and let him kind of introduce how the project came together. This is My December from 33 Love Child. gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show from the band Thirty Three Love Child. We have Whiskey on the line. How you doing, Whiskey?
5: Good. How are you, John?
2: I'm doing great. Uh, we are freezing here in the Pittsburgh area, uh, but you know it's always good to talk rock and roll uh, with with a with a great band. And uh, I came across your your. I guess this would be your debut album, the Thirty Three Love Child album. And it yeah, is. Yeah. Anxious to get you on. Can you talk a little bit about how this this project, of Thirty Three Love Child, took shape?
5: yeah that's kind of an interesting story. I auditioned for a band called Splinter okay three years ago here in Dallas, and uh loved the band, loved the songs they had their fourth or fifth record out <clears throat> and um auditioned for the band, got the gig, and then uh which is funny because the first audition I went in and totally sang off key just just to mess with them. <laughs> <sighs> and they were all looking at each other so like, oh, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, say sang it right, and then I got the gig. Well, then, you know, I have, you know, some connections and things, and I'm from L.A., so I, I'd been there, done that, and sorry. <clears throat> and um, so I brought all this stuff, and I said, let's go to the studio and do a record. Well, we started doing a record, and the bass player, drummer, and the other guitar player had quit within a month of doing the oh, record. Okay. All the, you know, potential we had. So we ended up looking for new bass player and drummer found a new one found a new one found a new one three three final taps later we end up with the guys we have <laughs> now yeah bo and uh and uh dave and <clears throat> we finally finished the record it took us almost two years of you know circling through studio drummers and all kinds of stuff okay. and decided we better change the name so we did and uh, uh that's how 33 love child and that came around just basically because uh I wrote a song called 33 Love Child for my daughter, and we just thought that's a cool name for a band. That's kind oh, of
2: cool. okay. I was yeah. going to ask you if, what, where the significance of the band name came from. It's, it's you know, it's kind of a different thing at first when you look at it. It was almost like our address or something. I'm like, yeah, this
5: is. Yeah, it thirty three. Is a very lucky number. That's a very good. You know, if you Google thirty three, it comes up with all kinds of cool things with it. So and then, uh, you know, love child is my daughter. So we just kind of threw it together and just said, hey, that sounds kind of cool.
2: Sure. Now, did you and um, uh, Ricky do most of the writing uh, of, of the songs, or how did these the songs take shape?
5: And yeah, We did all the writing.
2: Okay. Yeah. Now, do you, um, was this done, like, do you have a home studio, or, or where No, it was
5: that... done at Fort Worth Town, down in Fort Worth, uh,
2: okay.
5: right off in town, and it's an excellent studio. It's where they, did, Splinter did their rap, last record. Okay. And it's, uh, it was a nice, nice place. We... We didn't spare any expense, and what, what I did was, I brought to, to the table was, I said, look, you know, I've done quite a few albums what, um, <clears throat> in very nice studios. I said, here's what we are going to do this time. Let's go in with the ideas, and let's form them in the studio. Okay. So we kind of had an unlimited to so to speak, and we just, um, you know, if we recorded something and it didn't sound right, and a week later we were listening to it and just back in. And cool. So pretty proud of this one. Excellent.
2: Yeah, now, um, you mentioned, you know, having you have the luxury of the budget. Um, where You got you guys have yet to be picked up by a label on this, correct?
5: Right, I self-funded it.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah usually when, when people self-fund, you know, they're cutting every corner and, you know, have every song mapped out. There were, you know, even... De- you know, done some of it in Pro Tools even before they get into the studio. So it's, it's interesting. So well,
5: I had some time to save up for stuff like this. And I, I had taken some years off after I did the Friedman album. And uh, I took some years off and just saved. And, I, you know, when I was finally, the kids were old enough and I was finally ready to get back out. And if something did snag and I had to go on the road or whatever, they were old enough to, to be on their own. So I'd waited for a while. So I, I had uh, a lot of pent up. <laughs> frustration to put into that thing.
2: So now you you uh, allude to uh, Friedman. You were talking about Marty Friedman, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you describe what you had done with him, just for those not familiar? I
5: did a record with him in, uh, back in the late '90s. Okay. Um, True Obsessions, it was called, and it okay. was on. on uh, gosh, I can't remember. BMG Worldwide, but. Okay. Uh, Metal Blade here in the U.S. And anyway, so it's the only record he's done that I'm aware of with vocals. He and I co-wrote songs. And, okay. Uh, so it was right after he got out of Megadeth.
2: Okay. Now how yeah. did you How did you meet up with Marty? Through Bob. Oh, okay. And for those not listening, yeah. that's uh, Bob of uh, Shockwave Skull Sessions and uh, Shockwave Hard Radio. Yeah, yeah. Bob
5: Nelbany. Uh, he, nice. He's uh, been a good friend of mine for a long time. He hooked me up with him and Jonas Hansen from Silver Mountain and... Uh, quite a few other, you know, gigs, and I, just kidding. he's just been a really good friend of all these years.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's always good to have people that know people, especially when that person's Marty Friedman. Yeah.
5: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Bob knows everybody, it seems like.
2: Yeah, now, in, in the writing of these 33 Love uh, Child songs, um, you know, you and I had kind of talked off, off recording about, you know, some of the, you know, Led Zeppelin and things like that kind of creeping in. Were there, um, Particular things you were trying to channel or influences that you, you consider especially strong?
5: Well, I like the soulful bluesy feel, and then I, I guess I've been told I sing a lot like that. So I have, I, I incorporate a lot of, uh, you know, old bad company vibe feel on my vocals. And then Ricky likes Allison Chains and stuff like that, so you can hear a little bit of that influence in one of the songs. Um, we just try to, you know, like I said, just. Um, we just try to make whatever sounds good at the time. I'll I'll ad lib some vocals to what some little riff he's playing, and we just never know where it ends up. Like uh, Deep Sleep sounds a little Allison Chainz ish. <laughs> yeah. um, that one was called something Dark Rain or something. When we went to the studio, it didn't sound anything like it. So you just never know.
2: Yeah. Uh, did you? Um, you know, the one track I, I you know I mentioned to you when we were when we were setting this up that really kind of grabbed my attention was My December. Um, was there a particular kind of inspiration for the lyrics to that tune?
5: You know, Ricky wrote the lyrics to that tune.
2: Oh, okay. Uh,
5: if there's any dark lyrics on the album <laughs> from him, and if it's any positive, happy-go-lucky lyrics, it's from me. <laughs> oh, that's good. So,
2: He's the y- yin uh, and, huh? and you're the yang. Huh? He's the yin and you're the yang. Exactly.
5: So it's kind of a sad story, you know, and but it's, it's about overcoming and... And all that stuff, you know. So I made him turn it a little bit positive, but uh, yeah, he's the he's the sad sack when it comes to the lyrics. He's he's funny, but uh, so I we co-wrote it. I mean, I added the, the pre-chorus and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, it is one of my favorites on the record. I, I like the vocals and the and, and the ending and stuff. And it's just yeah. uh, really stretched my vocals. Even singing singing it live is even tough, It's it's a stretch,
2: but yeah. I like. Yeah, it's always good to have that stuff that kind of just pushes you to the edge of what you can do. It seems like that seems to be the stuff where people really shine. When you're just at a point where you can't do it, but you back off just a hair, you know, that's, it's kind of like a good amplifier, you know. Yeah, push it till it's about ready to break. Uh, you mentioned live, what, what are, um, you know, what are the plans for the band going future? You know, in the future, are you guys going to try to, you know, maybe get picked up on a tour or is that still kind of?
5: I don't know. We're, gonna, we're definitely we come out March 16th in Dallas at the Curtain Club with our CD release. Okay. We're giving away a brand new Harley Davidson this year.
2: huh.
5: Um. So if people show up throughout the year and you know show up to see us, they get a free lottery ticket. And then if they buy merch, they get a free lottery ticket for that too. And then in November at the House of Blues, we're going to play a show and give away the Harley. And everybody puts their lottery tickets in a big bowl, and some good-looking girl will pull out the winner. So that's what we got planned short-term. Uh, we'd like to do some USO tours. We have a song on there called 21, which mm-hmm. is... We just finished doing the video for it, for the live show, because we have uh, 60-inch high-depth video screens on both sides of the drummer. Okay. And uh, those play video while we're playing our songs. So you have a video, a visual and an audio sensation going on at the same time. And uh, so we'd like to do some USO tours. Um... And anything that Bob can set up for us, hopefully, maybe we can get some European stuff. I'd like to go over and play with J- uh, Marty over in Japan. It would be nice. Yeah,
2: I think anytime uh, any, any hard rock or metal band gets the opportunity to go to Japan, um, you know, it should just be a question of nothing, go. You know, because it seems they uh, they love it over there. You know, that in yeah. South America. You know, um Jonas
5: and I had, uh, I think, the number one uh, rock video in Japan back in the 99 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of history there, plus Martin Friedman's huge over there. So, yeah,
2: yeah, it's, it is always mind-boggling, you know, when you when you you, you, you read about Marty. You're, you know, or you listen to, you know, he was on Bob's show not all that long ago. I mean, it, it may yeah. have been a year or so now, but, you know. A guy who kind of fell off the radar in the United States is in an internet or, you know, a giant celebrity. Yeah, huge. Yeah, I mean, and you.
5: Giant you, star in Japan.
2: Yeah, I mean, you think in the United States, probably, you know, he's, he's the guy in Megadeth. That's a big deal, but nothing compared to, to, to what he's done in Japan. So that's. Well, we
5: were going to do a tour with him last year. We were talking about doing a tour with him here and us supporting him here, but. Couldn't quite get the finances together for him, because you know, like I said, he's dropped off the radar so much that labels and everybody's like scared of him that he won't draw. But I think he would.
2: Yeah, it is amazing that you know when you look at the United States, uh, a band um, that is big here can be big there, uh, but you don't see much the other way. You know, we, you know, I, I know not all that long ago I interviewed the guitarist of, of the band the Bees. In my research for that, I mean, this band has sold more albums than Kiss, but really? I'd never heard of them. Where <laughs> that's you know, they're from? They're uh, from Japan. Uh, I believe they're from Tokyo. It's they're B. B apostrophe S.
5: Okay.
2: Yeah, and you know, phenomenal music. It's really, really good. I mean, it's obviously not. I believe they just did a release in English within the last year. And they had done a show, just a handful of dates in the U.S., you know, like House of Blues type places,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, maybe five or six dates across the entire country. But this is a band that is playing giant facilities in, in Japan. So it's 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 a shame that, you
5: know. Yeah, it no, it's
2: crazy. Yeah. It's a shame that the success over there doesn't translate to success in the United States.
5: Yeah. Well, you can make a heck of a living over where they're doing this stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah, now you, you mentioned this being self-funded. I mean, if would would you consider it? You know, this is always an interesting question because people's opinions kind of vary. You know, being that you guys obviously own own all your music own your recordings, etc. I mean, is it is it advantageous in your opinion for you know a, a label to to court you guys, or is it something at this point where it's almost more profitable? To continue to do it on your own, with the way the internet and technology and things have made that possible.
5: That's a great question too. I don't know. I mean, there's uh, most of the record deals I'm hearing about these days are 360 deals, and mm-hmm. those are those are basically you know guys you know who their name is and they're famous, but they ain't making any money. So
3: yeah,
5: I'm not really into that. You know, I'd rather. And they're told what to do, and you don't get any of your merchandise, you don't get anything. I mean, yeah. record makes it all because they're losing money hand over fist thanks to the internet. So, I don't know. I think we're going to just stay grassroots and just, uh, you know, if somebody does approach us and offers us anything but a 360, we seriously consider it. But, you know, more than likely, we're just going to be doing one-offs and weekends, gigs, and weekend yeah. Warrior stuff and yeah. short
2: tour. Yeah, and if you can get the word out, you know, through you know avenues such as this, and, and you know other podcasts and internet radio and things like that, I mean, you get a you know much bigger chunk of the pie. Somebody you know goes to iTunes and, and drops down ten bucks to buy your album, you're going to get yep. a much healthier cut than you would if you know record label X is taking their cuts. So
5: exactly, and I just think they you know we're not doing it for the money. We do it because we love it. Because yeah. we're at that age now, or we're just having fun, and yeah. if something happens, great. If it doesn't, then we're going to keep putting records out. Yeah. That's all we're just doing. If we get good exposure overseas, we can sell quite a few.
2: Yeah, yeah, which is great. Then you can use it to finance, you know, record number two. You know, I think most musicians would be happy if they can make enough money on an album to finance the next one. Amen to that. Amen. All right, whiskey. You take care, and we'll talk to you later on, man. Thanks, John. Take
5: care.
4: Bye. Eric Clapton. Live in concert. Saturday night, April 6th at Consol Energy Center. One night, one stage. Slowhand is back live. The force and sixth string that defined a generation. Eric Clapton.
3: With those I ain't shot
4: Saturday, April 6th at Consol Energy Center. Eric Clapton and his special guest, The Wallflowers. We can drive it home with water and light. Don't wait. Tickets on sale now. Available at Ticketmaster. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Eric Clapton. Talk
2: A Libre
3: Production.
2: All right, I want to thank Andy Beersack, William Control, and also Whiskey of 33 Love Child for joining us on the show. And more importantly, I want to thank you guys for listening. You can check us out at ironcityrocks.com, twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks, and facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks. invite you to check out uh, for the next two weeks we are running a uh, Indiegogo campaign to raise some funds to buy some new photography equipment, so we have a lot of great rock memorabilia at what we feel are very fair prices uh, for what you're donating to what you'll get. Uh, guitar picks, uh, concert tickets, T-shirts, uh, even a chance to co-host the show. So if you're listening to this interview uh, on these shows and thinking, boy, it would be really cool to, to talk to you know Andy Biersack," but I could have asked a better question than this guy. Well, there's a chance to get on the show with us and do that, so uh, check that out as well. So That's available. If you go to ironcityrocks.com, there's a link right on the right-hand side of the page to the Indiegogo campaign. also invite you to check out castironring.com for more great podcasts, including Iron City Rocks, the Shockwaves, Skull Sessions, Shockwave, Hard Radio, and many, many more. And a special thanks to Bob for arranging the conversation with Whiskey. It was a pleasure to talk to him. So until next time, we thank you for listening we okay.